if you're designing your research experiment, you're still going to follow the scientific method regardless of, of what your uh, in, um, interests are, whether you're doing research for a company, you're doing research as a third party, or if you're doing research for your own exploration and, and scientific creativity, you're still going to follow the same outline and, and, and read the same script. Uh, but you're absolutely right that there are differences in the way that script can be uh, subtitled, if you will. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Genesis, the first power in genetics. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman Animal Nutrition. Visit EASTMAN.com. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Healthy Farms by Biovers. We have a time and labor-saving product for you. AgriSlats by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With AgriSlats, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year, and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Reiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Dustin Bowler, who is the Director of Research at Carthage Innovative Swine Solutions. Dustin, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Well, we're really excited to have you on today, Dustin. Um, some people in our listening group may not be familiar with you or your background. So before we really jump into the topic, why don't we have you go ahead and start by introducing yourself a little bit more formally? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to, to join the podcast. Uh, longtime listener. And so it's, uh, it's really a, a privilege for me to, to finally get to participate. So thank you for the invitation. Um, in terms of my background, uh, I've kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, was very fortunate. I was in grad school at the University of Illinois, um, and if you're familiar, I'm 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 formally trained as a meat scientist. Um, and that program at in University of Illinois um, at that point in time that meant that you're involved in pigs. Uh, certainly did some beef research and a little bit of poultry and some other things, but uh, the forte in that background is is pigs and pork quality research. Um, so that was really my introduction, if you will, into uh, to the pork industry. Um, when I was growing up, I was more of a beef background. Um, and so then that was a, a pretty hard pivot into, uh, into pigs. Um, but I was fortunate enough to complete grad school at the University of Illinois um, and then very fortunate to be offered a faculty position at Ohio State. Um, got to spend a couple of years there um, getting kind of my academic um, legs under me, if you will. Uh, very grateful for that opportunity. Um, but, uh, shortly after starting at Ohio state, um, opportunity opened itself, uh, at the university of Illinois and I was able to go back there and, and fortunately, uh, spent a number of years there, worked with some, some fantastic grad students, a number of, uh, colleagues that I still work with today. Uh, I've spent about six years at the university of Illinois. Um, and then as, as sometimes things do, uh, life happens, um, some of my friends know my, my wife also is a, is a scientist by training and had an opportunity that uh, moved us away from, from the Champaign area 
And so at that point, uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, John Ager, Dr. Ager offered me a, a spot at Top Ace Norseman. Um, so I got to move basically to the other end of the supply chain at that point where as a meat scientist, you're dealing with kind of the end of the live portion of production uh, with a genetic company, of course, uh, then you're on the on the other side. And so I spent a few years there uh, and then not terribly long ago, about six months ago, I had an opportunity to join Carthage. And so that's where I am today. You've had quite an interesting path. And I think that's actually what kind of leads us into our conversation today is you're currently the director of research at, at Carthage Innovative Swine Solutions. You've done research as an academic been involved with research when you were at Topics. And so let's kind of talk a little bit about the differences in, in research that you're seeing from beginning to end, if you will, or current, maybe current's the best word, um, for what you're seeing. So let's maybe start in academia and, and compare that to commercial research. Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question. It's one that we get to talk about a lot because uh, in academic research, um, those are really uh, very formal, very structured uh, research experiments. Oftentimes, um, there is an objective, of course, from a research perspective, but there's also another objective where you're mentoring grad students and you're trying to put a project in place uh, to teach someone else the scientific method. And so because of that, a lot of times those academic research trials are very formalized, tremendous amount of control over the variation um, sometimes they're in a little bit smaller facility, uh, maybe fewer observations. And if you think about um, the mathematical equation for standard error, the meaning, and how we actually do mean separation, you can either control your variation or you can increase your observations. And a lot of times in an academic setting, you're fairly restricted in the amount of observations that you can have. There's only so much lab space. There's only so much resources. There's only so much time that a grad student can dedicate to those research projects. Again, they have other things going on. And so then they're required to minimize that variation absolutely as much as possible. If you flip that riddle just a little bit and you think about commercial research, it's still the same thing. We're still following the scientific method, still developing a hypothesis, still building an objective, still testing on hypothesis to try to get some outcome. But oftentimes in a commercial facility, we've got the luxury of more observations. We've got the luxury of more pigs. Uh, and so as an example, in an academic setting, we may put 200 pigs on study and, and maybe in small pens, maybe fewer observations. In a commercial research trial, we might put 1,200 or 2,400 or maybe even more animals on study. Um, so much, much greater observations but with commercial research, we, we have to understand that sometimes that means that we're going to sacrifice control of our variability just a little bit. But that's actually good uh, if we think about it. As long as we know where that variation is coming from, uh, that allows us to see how our products are going to perform and interact in the wild, if you will. And so occasionally, if we're not careful, in an academic setting, we can get things so controlled that our inference space may be so limited that our outcome can be just a little bit restricted to what those data might do when we, when we do move up to commercial research. So there's absolutely a give and take. There is absolutely a place for both, but they are quite different in terms of how we approach the same scientific method. Correct. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point, Dustin. I actually wrote it in my notes as you were talking was control. 
And I hear that a lot um, from reviewers in particular when we're looking at commercial studies is how do you know that you've accounted for the control? How do you manage a sow study, for example, where you have 200 to 500 sows and a 5,000 head sow barn? How do you know that those sows are being fed the right feed and being taken care of in, in the way that we need to in order to collect the appropriate data? And, and so can you comment maybe a little bit on how we approach that control when we're in a commercial barn? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's one of the things that, that can be a challenge. Um, but uh, at least in Carthage, for example, we, we have a fantastic research team that are very well trained. Um, we have very strict SOPs. Uh, we do have some tools in place. As an example, if we're talking about a dietary feed, feed additive, we might dye one feed a uh, certain color with a feed additive such that we can tell if we've got the control of the feed uh, or the, the treatment control. As we're walking pens, then we can very quickly just visual appraisal say, yep, that feed is supposed to be the treatment. Uh, visual appraisal says it is the, the, the treatment. Uh, but back to the original question, again, that control is, is not any different whether, in a, whether we're in an academic setting or whether we're in a, in a commercial setting. Again, it's the same scientific method. It's about very clearly defining your objective. It's about very clearly uh, identifying your standard operating procedures, your SOPs, and then following those, and then employing a research team that is is brought into uh, collecting those data with with high integrity. Um, you've got people that are uh, appropriately reviewing those data, uh, and, and it's it's again following the same scientific method regardless of how many observations you have. It's just there might be more of them in a, in a commercial facility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. One of the challenges I think a lot of people sometimes get concerned about when they're doing commercial research, uh, especially when you're working in a barn that, that is not designed for research, is that you're working with staff that routinely mm -hmm. don't know what blocking would be or what any of the measurements you are doing. And so how do you communicate in a way with staff um, that might be involved in a project, but not necessarily the research team. Yeah, so the, I, I think you, you said the key word right there. It's all about communication. Um, and so at least at Carthage, what we try to do and what we've implemented is, is we have a kickoff meeting and then we try to have a wrap-up meeting. And so that kickoff meeting is we, we try to gather the team up and we say, okay, these are the key elements uh, that we absolutely have to do to, for this trial to be successful. And we talk about the things that these are imperative for the success of the trial, that we have to collect these data, we have to do these things every day regardless. Um, and then there's, there's times when, uh, you know, there can be inclement weather or there can be who knows what or a disease. You never know. Uh, and then there's, then here comes a checklist that, okay, uh, these are the things we have to do, but these are the things that, that are not necessarily center of the, of the priority list or that these are secondary attributes that we'd sure like to have, but if something happens, um, that, that we can forego those. And so we have that kickoff meeting that hopefully everybody is aligned on expectations, on objectives, on outcomes. And then the other side of that, which I think is just as important, is we have a wrap-up meeting. And so when that trial is done and, and we went through the data with the responsors and we've talked through everything, we try to bring that team back in and show them what their efforts generate. And we, we found that that really, really helps that people appreciate that, that it's not just writing down uh, the number of piglets born in a litter, but it's understanding that because we understand how many piglets are born in a litter, we can understand if our 
uh, treatment implications, if that's the the trial objective, how those actually benefited the welfare of the sows or uh, the welfare of the farm or anything associated. And so I think that kickoff meeting and then that wrap-up meeting, again, really helps with team buy-in. Uh, and anytime you can get somebody to, to feel like they own that trial, even if it's not necessarily something that they're directly involved in, absolutely helps with the success. Yeah, I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. You know, I was thinking about this too while you were talking, is that while we're talking about sow farms or wean to finish barns, you know, this also happens in, in harvesting facilities, right? I know certain harvesting companies, they have teams of researchers that are there to gather the data while the rest of the, the staff, you know, work to, of course, process the, the pigs as they come in. And so I think it's it's really important that in what you're communicating when we think about commercial research is that we create these teams that are specialized in gathering the data and the staff is there as support. They understand what's going on, um, but we understand that they have other responsibilities and jobs and we're not going to task them with additional activities. Um, and then, of course, as you mentioned, you you deal with the variation. I think we deal with it even in academia, right? And not everything goes plan in academia either. And it's very common to just go back to, well, what's the real objective here? And what can we sacrifice um, if we have to, to, to make sure we at least maintain the integrity of the, the main objective? Uh, so yeah, very good points. Um, something else that kind of came into my mind as you were doing your introduction is really your path. So you, you've talked meat science, we've talked uh, topics, and we've talked Carthage. And, and so you've seen kind of the end, the beginning, and now kind of the middle uh, phases of production. And so what are the differences when you think about research design, setup, objectives, thought process between those three? Yeah, that's a, it's a fun question because, um, you know, I've, I've often said, and even back in, in academics, um, when I'm trying to mentor grad students, um, and, and again, most of the time um, in an academic setting, we were talking about, at least at Illinois, we were talking about pigs, but sometimes we're talking about beef. Um, and the, the one thing that we used to always um, try to really emphasize is that uh, as animal scientists, regardless of what our discipline, and, and I, I would... Uh, be open to a challenge that anybody that can think of of any discipline in animal science, maybe companion animals would be the exception. Uh, whether or not we our end objective is not is not food, um, and so regardless of what we're we're our outcome or our objective within our discipline, uh, we need to keep the the end consumer in mind and think about how they're going to use our products. And so then to your question on how our research objectives differ, where we're at within um, in that supply chain, if you will, or if we're at the very beginning in a genetics company, if we're kind of in the middle uh, where I am today with a CRO or closer to the end as a meat scientist, is really the proximity to those, those consumers and what you are doing that influences the next step. Because remember, when we turn our products loose to the next step in the, in the production system, they get to either reap the benefits of our hard work, or they have to deal with the challenges that we've just presented to them, uh, good or bad. Mm. And so when the research questions become, in my opinion, relative to our end consumers uh, in terms of how what we do is going to impact uh, what that product, when it when it arrives in the consumer's dinner plate, is going to be. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's too easy for us to become kind of disjointed, if you will, 
we focus a lot, especially if you're working with sows, you focus right on what's happening in the sow barn. You know there's implications when they go into the nursery and, and down the line, but you really don't think about meat quality, right, or anything at, at that level unless you're doing a genetic study. And so um, I think it is important to always kind of keep that in mind that it's not even the harvesting plant, it's that consumer that we're really trying to, to keep in mind through this whole process. Absolutely. So very good points. Um, you said a word uh, that some of our audience may not be familiar with. You used or the acronym CRO. What is CRO? So a CRO is a certified research organization. Thank you for that, for catching me on that. Uh, and so that just means uh, that Carthage is a CRO. We are a certified research organization. Um, so what that means is that if a sponsor, if a company uh, has a question about a product or a process or anything that's involved um, that they're interested in, they can come to us um, and ask us to run a research project for them. And what that does, what a CRO really does, um, is it provides credibility to the outcome um, because we're running independent research uh, that speaks to all the things that we've talked about that we will help uh, a sponsor if they have an interest in developing their hypothesis uh, and then establishing those objectives so that we can design an experiment that truly targets their actual objective. And then we're going to run an objective, uh, objective independent research trial such that when we're done, we don't, we don't have, we don't have a dog in the fight, if you will. It doesn't really matter to us if the product works or if it doesn't, um, we're going to tell you what the data uh, told us. Um, and so then that provides hopefully some credibility to the outcome. And then uh, sponsors can use those data for marketing materials if they wish, uh, to direct their research program if they wish, whatever they choose to do. At the end of the trial, they own the data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you've worked in academia. And so sometimes in academia, we're doing research that's maybe our own idea or an idea that we pursued grant money for. Sometimes there's companies that come to you with product evaluations, much like what you just talked about. But let's just assume academia is more free free evaluation, free knowledge evaluations. And then you work for a genetic company where you work specifically for a company trying to focus on a product and create research around that to develop data to share with those customers. Now you're kind of working in that third-party role, kind of that non-biased independent research group. What are some differences across those three in, in terms of how you might approach the research project or even how you... Um, I don't know, just deal with the, the trials in general, or is there a difference when you think about those three? Yeah, so, you know, I, I could be talked into to either either answer that there is no difference or there is a difference. Uh, and because of that, it comes back to what I was saying earlier, that if you're designing a research experiment, you're still going to follow the scientific method, regardless of, of what your uh, in, um, interests are, whether you're doing research for a company, you're doing research as a third party, or if you're doing research for your own exploration and, and scientific creativity, you're still going to follow the same outline and, and, and read the same script. Uh, but you're absolutely right that there are differences in the way that script can be uh, subtitled, if you will. Um, and so in academics, oftentimes you get uh, the flexibility and the freedom uh, to run some trials that, that may stretch you a little bit beyond, that get a little bit out there, if you will. I remember very clearly as a grad student, when I was an advisor, that we had some some really, really kind of crazy ideas 
Uh, but that's where that idea generation and, and fresh graduate students and, and people that are still young and creative and hungry can really, uh, they come up with outlandish, for, for a lack of a better word, ideas sometimes. But if you can rein those in, then that's how we start to, to really learn. Um, the other side of that, as you mentioned, if you're doing research for a company, you still have to, to run objective research because, again, if you don't, uh, your credibility, your reputation can be tarnished. Nobody wants that. Um, but there's clearly uh, a motive and an objective on the other side of that, that you want to test your product relative to some norm. That may be a competitor. That may be to the status quo. Um, but you want to know what those data and what your out, output looks like relative to some sort of a control. And then, as I mentioned in a third party, it's really quite nice because we can run the research and, and we don't have a motive uh, of hoping that the product works or it doesn't. Again, we don't care, right? We're running the research to be as unbiased and objective as we possibly can. And so we put our best foot forward to, to run a clean trial, to collect data with high integrity, and we let the cards fall. And from there, um, if, the, if the results turn out well for the sponsor, that's fantastic. They have uh, an outcome that, that they can they can do what they choose. If it turns out not so favorable, that's actually okay too, um, because one of the things as, a, as an independent researcher, we do provide um, all of our sponsors a very high level of confidentiality. And so they can come to us with a trial that, and we can test some things that may be a little bit out of the norm or a little bit off cue what, they, what their product would normally be intended or the application uh, and get a little creative. And so we can provide them very objective uh, feedback that way as well. Okay. How about um, ROI? So return on investment. How does that play into those three different buckets of research, if you will? Um, so does ROI drive your research ideas or decisions in any of those three types of, of research institutions, if you will? Yep, that's a, that's a great question. And it's one that um, I think people can forget if you're not careful. And so I, as an academic, uh, absolutely, you have to generate enough revenue to pay your grad students to do, uh, pay your lab technicians. If you have, if you have a lab technician, you've got to pay the research, uh, but you're not really trying to generate a profit necessarily. Uh, you're trying to conduct research to generate uh, intellectual property publications to graduate students. Those are your tangible outputs maybe more so than, than, a, than a bottom line net profit. Um, the other side of that is, uh, you know, if you're, if you're conducting research for a company, there is absolutely a motive that you are trying to test a product uh, that that company will then use to generate revenue. And so, again, absolutely. Uh, and that's oftentimes where research groups are separated from marketing groups. So you can separate that conflict of interest as much as possible. Everybody understands at the end of the day, it's for the benefit of the company if the product works and they have something to market and, and generate some revenue. Um, but that's oftentimes why uh, research and marketing groups are separated. So we can have that uh, disconnection, if you will, of conflict of interest. The nice thing about a, a CRO is we are motivated to, to generate revenue. Absolutely. We are a CRO. Uh, we, we do research for hire, um, but our motivation is not in the outcome of the trial. It is the implementation, the execution of the trial. And so for us to generate uh, revenue and for us to generate a reputation that's favorable for our sponsors, 
we have to conduct research that's done at a high level um, such that people want to come back to us and, and do try the next trial, the next trial. Um, and so our motivation in, in ROI is an execution, not an output, where if you're the, the, a company, it might be an output, I'm not saying you're sacrificing uh, execution. I'm not implying that at all. I'm just saying you are absolutely motivated in hopefully the outcome of those data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are very good points. Anything else that I'm missing that you think we should talk about concerning the different types of research and, and just those concepts around, you know, what's the better way to run research or, you know, challenges and so forth? Yeah, so one of the things that we've had this discussion, um, I, I'm a member of, as a lot of people, a lot of listeners will be of, of different societies, uh, animal science, uh, AMSA, American Meat Science Association, and we have these discussions a lot of times about resources and availability to resources, access to resources. And the, the biggest thing is if you're going to run a research trial, do a critical evaluation of what you have available to you because, again, uh, regardless if you're in an academic setting or you're in a commercial setting, to get quality data, you really got to be able to control that variation and understand where the variation is coming from. So if you've got access to pin scales, as an example, on a finisher, use your pin scales. That's okay. You can get good data that way. If you have access to individual scales and you can weigh individual pigs, that's great too. Do that. Uh, But do a good, solid internal audit of what your available resources are, how to use those resources, where your variation is going to come from, and then how you can control that variation it really doesn't matter whether you're in an academic setting or a commercial setting. You're just running good, high-quality research at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, it's probably one of my biggest pet peeves, right, is is don't run a trial with 12 saddles and talk about total born on the subsequent farrowing because it's not enough communication. But if you want to talk about something that biochemically happened or, you know, protein expression or something of that nature you know, that might be a suitable number. And so I, I think you're absolutely right is is understand where you can be and what you can actually effectively measure with, with your resources. So excellent. Well, the other thing to, to that point is, is, again, I think it's very important to define your primary variables. What are you really interested in? Measure those and do a, do a great job of measuring those. And sometimes we get so concerned with trying to measure everything on a single trial that we don't measure anything very well. Um, let some of those secondary traits go. Let's really learn and focus on what, what's important to us. And then we can do a follow-up study or if, if something, we open a can of worms somewhere, or we trip onto something that's interesting, then we can design an experiment to test that objective. Yeah, great points. Well, um, Dustin, our time is kind of coming to an end in terms of our conversation. And so maybe before we kind of jump over to those famous questions, could you wrap up with a couple of key points you'd like our listeners to, to take away from today's conversation? Yeah. So again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. It's been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I think the overall uh, take-home message here is, is that academic research and commercial research are quite different in a lot of ways, and they're very similar in more ways than we might re- uh, realize. Again, uh, if you're going to run a research trial, spend a lot of time on the front end thinking about your objective, how you can design an experiment to test that objective, then think about your sources of variation and how you can reduce and control that variation, and I think you'll be set for a fantastic experiment. Great, great tips. 
It is time to our famous three. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts, MS Gold, the best hygiene products and livestock farming. Swine management to the next level. Cloudfarms.com. Ivonic. We are sciencing the global food challenge. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition, Adiseo's portfolio of products includes methionine, the full range of vitamins, enzymes, organic selenium, probiotics, mycotoxin management strategies, and palatability products. With such a diverse offering, Adiseo supports its customers with a broad range of expertise, tools, and services to help them maintain a competitive advantage. Adiseo, fueling predictable profits. To learn more, visit Adiseo at www.adiseo.com. Well, as you know, Dustin, we like to ask our, our guest speaker a couple of questions. The first one I'd like to ask you is, do you have a go-to resource related to pigs that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so for me, I always go to the Journal of Animal Science. I always start there. Um, I'm a scientist at heart, and so anytime I, and my wife gets really frustrated with me because she says I'm always testing her, I'm not, but I am. Uh, we'll ask questions and it's what happens when you have, uh, you got two scientists at the same dinner table, but, uh, journal animal science, because I, I, I like to go and, and see what my peers are doing. That's where I generally generate a lot of ideas on how to do something a little bit different. That's where I learn. That's my go-to resource. Yeah. Perfect. Great example. How about something that's not related to pigs? Are you reading anything or have read anything recently that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I've, I'm actually reading a book. I've got it here, so I'm going to look away. Uh, it's called Influence, Science, and Practice. Um, I actually learned about that book uh, at AASV a few years ago. I listened to a seminar. Uh, influence in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's it's important because obviously I think all of us are motivated to try to get people to do what we want in some way or capacity. Uh, but there are a lot of different ways about, of going about doing that, right? I think the saying something to the effect of you catch more flies with honey than vinegar, and so... Uh, there's a positive way to influence and a negative way. So influence, uh, science and practice is my, my book right now. Perfect. Great example. Uh, my last question for you is if you can think of someone in your life that you've defined as successful and successful is however you want to define it. Uh-huh. Um, what's a trait about them that you think has allowed them to be successful? Yeah. So I spent some time this morning thinking about that and, I, and I'm not going to name a person necessarily as, as much as a collection and that, that's graduate students. Uh, and to me, because what all graduate students uh, exhibit and they have to, to be successful in their program is perseverance. Uh, and so there's a, a lot of adversity that comes with a graduate program. And, and if you watch grad students and how they navigate those struggles uh, and persevere is, 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 quite impressive and, and quite motivating. So perseverance would be uh, my my trait. That's interesting. I did another podcast just recently, and that was also their trait. So that, that seems to be a common trait right now, which is a great one to have, uh, especially when you're doing research, is, is to persevere, because there are some pretty difficult days, I know. Well, it, we just came out of a global pandemic, too. So lots of opportunities to persevere right now, actually. <laughs> exactly. Oh, perfect. Well, Dustin, it's been a pleasure visiting with you. Um, For our listeners, again, this is Dr. Dustin Bowler, who is the Director of Research at Carthage Innovative Swine Solutions. Dustin, thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. 
Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.